Well, I'm excited to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm honored to, to get to share with such a godly group of people, uh, be counted and worthy of, of sharing with you all. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I'm, I'm excited to get to share um, some of the insights God's given me as I've um, studied through First Thessalonians. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 2, like kind of the second half, starting in verse 13 through the end of chapter 2, and then we'll read all of chapter 3 today. I'm going to read from the ESV. I'm just going to ask us to pray a couple times. So first, I just want to take about you know 20 seconds, 30 seconds. First, I'm going to ask us all just to pray for ourselves this morning, um, that we would hear God's word um, and and that we would like apply it to our life. It would really mean something. So I'm just going to take. It's going to be a little slight, slight awkward silence, but let's just take a second and pray for pray for yourself that the word of God would would take root in your life this morning. And then next, I'd, I'd actually ask if y'all would just take a second and you would just pray for me. I'm kind of nervous. I drank a little bit too much coffee this morning, so I'm kind of amped. Uh, but then I'm just, I, just, I just want the, the word to be clear. Um, so if you would just take a second and just you'd pray for me that the, the word would make sense. And, and, and last, part of, part of our message today um, is about our Christian fellowship. So I'd, I'd like you just to take a second and just pick like one or two people in this room right now in our body. You know, we, we're, we're here to encourage each other. And, and let's just pray. Pick one, pick one or two people and just, just pray, pray for them specifically. Uh, something, if you know what's going on with them, great. If not, that's great too. But pray, pray for somebody in this room that the, the word of God would dwell in merchly this morning. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for taking part in that. Let's let's jump in. As I said, we're in First Thessalonians. Um, the big idea today is we're looking we're looking at the examples that Paul and the church at Thessalonica um, they their examples to us as Christians, right? Um, and I think often whenever we see examples, our natural kind of inclination is thank you, Steve, um, is is to see them and to think. Um, this is what I should do, right? Which I think has some degree of value. But often whenever we see examples, instead of just taking it as, oh, this is something I need to do, this is something I need to do, which, which often just turns into a, like, a lot of obligation, a, a sense of like shame can often come in through that. Uh, instead of, of viewing it in that way, I want us to look at these really godly examples in, in the context of, of two things. One is that when we see these examples, we see it as an opportunity to reconsider our priorities, right? What, what are the things that it is very obvious that Paul and the church at Thess- Thessalonica, uh, P.S., a little side note, if you don't really know how to say something when like a specific place or name when you're talking through the Bible, you just say it with confidence and people are going to think that they're wrong and you're right. Also, you know, different like accents in different places, like we say like Afghanistan, like in Afghanistan, they saw Afghanistan, right? So you can be like, well, I'm actually just saying the Judean accents. So you just, you know, I, I speak Jude, like Jesus's accent. So you, you can, right? So you can just say these things, people will trust you. Uh, and, and, and honestly, those things don't matter. You know, we're, we're, we're just communicating concepts. So uh, the church, I'll say Thessalonica. I think some people say Thessalonica. But um, the people at this church, right, when we look at them, I want us to one, to, re- to look at what are their priorities, the things that they see are really important and then if we look at like our, our priorities to see maybe where they don't match, right? Again, not for the sake of just feeling condemned that we're like doing something wrong, but what are the things that they see as really important that maybe we have lower on the list or the things we kind of have high up on the list that maybe they seem to like imply are, are lower on the list. And so one, for us to consider what is really important. And then two, the other thing as we, as we see um, the things that they see as important that maybe are different than ours, instead of feeling like, man, this is what I need to do, I think often in, in the Christian life over time, the things that we really, really, really like love, that we like, we want over time, maybe like we really wanted something in our Christian life and then we don't really see that fulfilled. And then we like start to kind of change our expectations for what the Christian life looks like. Um, and we're going to talk about community and about suffering and about leadership in these um, today. And for those, I, I want, as we see Paul talk about um, his, these priorities that are they're really high, I want us to like potentially just awaken 
a desire for these things that maybe we've act, we actually really want some of these things. Like, what are the things we really desire? And we've kind of, I don't know, let those kind of fall by the wayside. Let's jump in. The, the main, main themes that we're going to be looking at is how the Thessalonians um, received God's word, um, how Paul encouraged them in the midst of their suffering, what Paul has to say about fellowship, and what Paul has to say about Christian leadership. So let's jump right in. So first I want to look at, uh, one thing that's kind of interesting, and, and Keith talked about this last week when he introduced First Thessalonians, that the, the entirety of this book is set within one chapter in Acts, right? Acts traces a lot of the early church's history. And so it, it traces, um, for one, one of the things it traces is a lot of Paul's missionary journeys. And on the second missionary journey, which is kind of somewhere we think between the year 50 and the year 52, right? Um, if we go to the next slide, uh, you can see his little map here. I love maps. Uh, he, he takes off from Judea, starts going around. He goes to Asia Minor, right? This is modern day Turkey. And then he comes over here to what um, is today like Greece, Macedonia, uh, Bulgaria. And at that time, that was kind of, that was kind of the, um, the frontier. You know, Paul talks about that he wanted to take the gospel where no one would know. Later on in his ministry, Spain is kind of the frontier. But at this point, this is it, right? This is the ancient Greek empire. Actually, if you've heard of Alexander the Great, the guy who made the Greek empire, he was actually Macedonian. It was a lie. He wasn't Greek, right? Um, and so uh, he, he, get, he finally gets over to this place he wanted to go, right? And uh, he goes to Philippi. He finally, he, he establishes the church at Philippi. Paul does, right? The, the, you know, the, we get one of the, I, I think potentially one of the greatest of Paul's letter was, was the church at Philippi. Then he goes to Thessalonica, which is where we're at, right? Acts 17 starts with him going to that church. He like shared the gospel there. He was there sometime around a month. It says he was there for, I think it was three or four, sorry, uh, three or four um, Sabbaths, right? And it could have been slightly more, but it was somewhere around there. And then he gets chased out of town by the Jews, right? He goes to Berea, which if you if you remember Berea, that was the, the people who like had a noble heart and they received God's word. And when he's there, he's like kind of getting like a good harvest, right? And then the, the Jews in Thessalonica hear about it, come over and run him out of there, right? And so then he goes all the way down to Athens, right? And he's in Athens, um, like sharing the word of God. And that's where this letter is written. Like he says it later on in chapter four-ish, five-ish, uh, that he's in Athens, right? He had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to hear how they're doing, right? And so it's, it's kind of crazy. We know exactly what was happening. Actually, it's, it's kind of interesting to think, you know, when he was in Athens, that's whenever he gave one of his most famous um, speeches when he has like, uh, he, he like talks about like the, 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 uh, the statue to an unknown God. And he goes and tells them like, I have the God. I, that could have been the same day he wrote this letter. You know, I mean, who knows, right? But it's just kind of interesting. You kind of know what's going on in Paul's life when he wrote this letter. And a lot of the letter is, is Paul encouraging the Thessalonians because they've experienced like extreme persecution, right? Paul had this extreme persecution in Thessalonica. So he's like, I know if I did, y'all are too, right? And he knows, um, cause he had kind of had one or two little interactions like with, with people sending letters, um, that, that they've gone through a lot. And, and Paul's not like crazy to say that they maybe have turned from their faith. We know there was a number of people throughout Paul's ministry who turned away. At one point he talks about Demas, Hymenaeus, these different guys who had been like faithfully serving God and then they recanted and turned away. And, and, and the, the church at Colossians, Galatians, um, it, it, Paul, like in, in, in his letter to them, he says like, you've like turned to a foreign gospel. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting. He has reason to potentially like be afraid for them, right? Because he's experienced this before. He's experienced people turning back through suffering. And we know when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, that sometimes the seed falls on the road and initially there's like a, a response to God, but because it doesn't have roots, um, the, you know, the persecution comes and, and um, you know, that seed is wiped out. So, so anyways, let's jump into it. Um, we're going to read a couple different sections, but this, this first section is really short. So this is the easy part. Um, so verse 13, it says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Um, first off, I just think, man, wouldn't that be the coolest thing if that is like your legacy for all of time? That's like the legacy of the Thessalonians is that they received the word of God, they took it seriously, and it's at work at them. Like, how many of y'all, like, you would love that that is what's said about you, maybe on your tombstone, like, 
you know, Michael Kirshner like accepted the, the, the word of God as it was, and it was at work at him, right? That would be one of the coolest things. Like that's, that's really cool that Paul says that about them. But it's interesting, like we don't know exactly why they like really trusted what Paul said. Like in, in Acts, it says that he reasoned with them and showed them how the Christ had to suffer. He reasoned with them from the Old Testament, right? And then in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, he mentions that he came with power. So it involves maybe like something miraculous happened. We don't know exactly, but he's not here referring to the fact that, um, that they believed, right? That they took, that they believed. He actually, as we go on to reading, he's, he, right after this, and I don't go to this slide, uh, right after this, he, the reason he's saying this is because they were willing to suffer, right? And so the, the willing to go through trials and suffer for God are the proof that they believed, right? Um, you can go to the next slide. So one, one quote I really like, this is Tony Evans. Oh, it kind of changed things. Um, uh, so it says, to fear God means to take God seriously as opposed to casually, right? To fear God means to take God and his word seriously as opposed to casually. And I think a lot of times we can hear God's word and we like say, oh yeah, that's good. And then we go on and we like, it doesn't really have produce any fruit in us, right? Um, and I think, I think the proof that these, these Thessalonians really took God seriously um, or they, they really like accepted the, the word was that they, they were like able and willing to be persecuted for that word. Um, so uh, let's jump in though, because I think this, this next section is the, the section that has potentially um, the most like meat to it. Um, so, no, it didn't work still. Uh, can you go to the next slide for me? So we're going we're gonna to read kind of a longer section and then we'll come back and talk to it. So we'll start here in, in verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators, right? Remember, and he's just talking about them accepting the word of God. Why? Why do they know that? Because you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. For you suffered from your own people the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone and their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And this way, they always heap up to their, their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Um, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Next slide. Um, chapter 3, uh, in verse 1, it says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. We are destined for trials, right? Keep on going. Please, yes. Uh, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out this way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So um, here in this section, he, he says a lot of really insightful, like kind of in short little snippets, really insightful and important things about suffering, right? And for us as believers, he kind of tells us um, when we go through suffering, how to interact with that. But the first thing I want to point out, he was with these, this, this, like, this early church in Thessalonica for a very short period of time, like one month, right? And it's very obvious that teaching about suffering and persecution was a significant part of what he taught them, right? Um, like, and so if we, if we had to say Paul created like a discipleship course, he's got his one month discipleship course, right? Suffering was, was a significant part of that. And I think honestly, if we like really think about it, if someone like commissioned us to go make uh, a course where people would come, new believers, make this course, um, that teaches them about like the essentials of the faith. I imagine most of us would do like uh, well, it kind of depends on our personality. I don't know, maybe. But uh, it's kind of fun to think about it. If you had to develop a course for new Christians, like what would you include, right? Um, I mean, I think most of us would probably make, hopefully, 
the gospel, the center, right, of, of our discipleship course, right? But I think, you know, I'm kind of nerdy about history, so I would probably want them to know about the Old Testament, all this stuff, and how it points to Christ, right? And some of us are really theological. I'm sure Kevin would have something about, like, uh, about Calvinism, no doubt, right? Um, but uh, we would all have these things, these kind of, like, pet projects we have, and, and I think a lot of us would have these, like, a lot of doctrinal stuff, but I wonder how much time we would give to suffering, right? How much time when we're, like, teaching our children about the Christian faith, are we, like, talking about suffering and persecution as part of that? And given we are in a total different context, right? We are not necessarily in a society that always, like, loves Christianity, but we're in a society that, like, Christianity is a big part of the the air that we breathe, right? It is strongly, strongly, it's the strongest influence on our culture. Well, you know, it's it's, it's up there. It's it's up there as one of the strongest influences on our culture. Um, And so, so we don't have this thing. We're not constantly like at risk of our lives um, because of our faith. And so, so there is obviously some difference there. But, you know, I wonder, you know, I think all of us probably know someone who grew up in the church, okay? They, they, they grew up, they left home, and then at some point they either experienced personally or they deeply connected with like deep suffering in the world. And that suffering led them to question God and ultimately like leave the faith, Right? I, I mean, I know quite a few people who that's happened to, and I bet most of us also do, right? And I wonder, like, if suffering was something that was, like, taught from the very beginning that this is an essential part of the Christian faith. Tim Keller actually says that suffering is, the, like, is at the center of all Christian teaching because the cross, right? Christ, suffering is at the center of all Christian truth, right? And, and I, I wonder if... Like, I think, you know, it's not that people, like, say, oh, I mean, maybe there's, like, some, like, prosperity gospels that talk about suffering is actually because we're, like, leaving God or something, right? But generally speaking, I think it's not that we, like, intend to, to like, neglect the teaching of suffering. It's just we, like, focus on these other things. And, like, you know, when we're teaching our kids, we're like, let's talk about the happy stuff, right? Uh, but I think, I wonder if we talked more about suffering as an expectation, right? Like Jesus did. Jesus said, like, no servant is greater than his master. Like, if I suffer, surely you will, right? You will, and he also says, like, you will experience suffering. But um, that's just when Jesus says, uh, you will, you will um, experience trials of many kinds, but do not fear, for I have overcome the world, right? Um, and so we're told numerous times by Jesus that we're going to experience sufferings. The disciples, in their early, like, discipleship period, right, when they were walking with Jesus, they were experiencing suffering, and they definitely experienced suffering afterwards, right? And I just wonder if that was, like, an active part of, of our discipleship and our expectation if we would as quickly see people like leaving the faith when, because they're surprised by suffering, right? Um, I remember when I was in high school, um, and again, I, I don't think, I'm not like trying to blame the church or my parents, they're, they're awesome, but as I, when I was in high school, I had a close friend who was um, from a different faith, and they were like, kind of like, we were like talking through Christianity together, and I remember at some point, like, I realized, like, if they become a Christian, their family is going to disown them. They're going to lose all of their customs, like, that they grew up with, all their holidays, all their, like, their extended, like, family. And I was just thinking, oh, my gosh, is this worth it? Like, and the answer is yes. Jesus is worth the suffering. And if we think that suffering is something that, like, is going to, like, make Christianity, like, lesser or something, then we're missing some of the point, right? Um, there's this this famous song, Rich Mellon's, uh, Rich Mellon's song, I always forget his name, uh, uh, Rich Mellon's song where he talks about like, um, or one, one of the lines says, um, the world can't stand what it can't own, it can't own you, right? And I think for all of us, no matter, even though we're in this society that Christianity is part of the air that we breathe, it's part of like the society, like we will, if you are really pursuing after Jesus, you will experience suffering, right? You will experience trials and you will experience persecution, not just suffering. And on all this, I just want to say it as a side note, I'm not talking about the suffering because you're a jerk, right? And you like talk to somebody about Jesus and you're just like, well, you're going to hell because, you know, that's not what I'm talking about, right? That's a whole nother subset of things, right? I'm saying if we were walking in grace and truth and sharing with our neighbors, if we're walking, if we're just living our lives as a Christian does, we will experience persecution because this world cannot stand something that is so different, right? 
Um, I don't care if you are, what you're doing. If you're working for a missions agency, you will at some point experience like persecution if you're really pursuing after Jesus, right? Um, And so, um, yeah, I just think, I think that part of, part of like maybe sometimes our, our struggle with suffering is because we don't really include that in our doctrine, right? We don't include that in our thoughts about what Christianity truly is, right? But I want to look at, so Paul immediately, when he talks about our suffering, he starts talking about the Judean Christians, the, the church in Judea. Judea is like the southern region of Israel where Jesus um, died and was resurrected, um, right? And where the early church like kind of cut its teeth, right? And so why, why, why would he mention those Judean Christians? And I think, I think there's a couple of reasons, right? Um, or a couple of points at least we could draw from that. So first, um, I, think, uh, I think one is that he's saying we are not alone in the midst of our suffering, right? Others have suffered before us, uh, like others will suffer after us, and those, they have, they have endured their suffering, right? And, and if they have gotten through their suffering, surely we can endure our suffering, right? And so one is just this like very practical comfort, like what you've experienced, you know, um, like others have experienced and they got through it, so, so you can, right? So that's, that's one, okay? The, the next one, which I think is, is, is um, at least personally, like a lot more significant, is that our suffering actually matters, right? That early church, right? And Jesus himself, uh, like the early church, they, they went through the suffering and, and really it formed them in a lot of ways. Um, and our suffering, like there is no suffering that is wasted in the economy of Christ, right? When we go thing, through things, God wants to use that to, to drive us closer to him. If you go to the next slide, um, this quote, again, sorry, I have a lot of Tim Keller quotes. Uh, so it says, Christianity teaches that in, uh, opposed or contra to secularism, that suffering is meaningful. There is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. You can go to the next slide. Um, and so our suffering actually is what creates good thing. You know, in, in, in chapter three, he said that their suffering was, was ordained for them, right? It's not that suffering is solely like just something of like, oh, we messed up or other people. Like God ordains suffering for us. God doesn't like, he doesn't come and like, like do evil to us, but God wills that evil like is used for our good, right? And so, so God uses the suffering. And I think honestly, if, you know, for most of us in this room, we've been Christians for a little while. And I, I, I bet uh, if, I, if we like talked that all of us, the most formational things in our Christian life has been through the midst of our deepest suffering, right? Um, and I think we could say the same thing about, about the early church, right? So um, this suffering matters, one, internally, because it actually deepens our love for God. It connects us with God. God uses our suffering, right? But then two, externally, like the early church, he's saying, you're just like the Judeans, Christians. If it wasn't for the Judean Christians enduring their suffering, then they they wouldn't have heard about the gospel, right? And actually in chapter one of Thessalonians, when when Keith was talking last week, he talked about how Paul mentions like all the churches in Macedonia, I think he said particularly in Achaia, like they are so encouraged by your enduring suffering right? And, and um, I, think, I think that, I don't know if we like necessarily have a promise that our suffering will be an encouragement to others, but I will say that when we endure suffering for God's sake, we join in in the line of, of people who follow God all the way back from like Abel, the first person who like suffered for God's sake, who was un, un, unjustly killed, through like all the prophets up to the early church and really culminating with Jesus himself. Like we join in this line of like kind of, it is this like fighting back against the darkness. Like if you are fighting against like the darkness in the world, you will suffer. There will be suffering, right? And we're joining in the line with that, right? If you want to go to the next slide, um, sorry, another Tim Keller quote. It says, the best people often have terrible lives. Job, one example, Jesus, the ultimate Job, uh, the only truly fu- fully innocent sufferer is another, right? We are joining in and this line of believers for all time who suffer, right? That's in some ways, you know, Paul's saying like, that is the mark in some ways of people who are falling after God, um, you know? And I, I, again, there was a few people in the early church 
who like wanted to suffer. They really tried to seek out martyrdom. And very quickly, uh, the like, early church fathers were like, no, Jesus didn't like try to seek out suffering. He actually, you know, prayed that uh, he would have freedom from it, but he was willing to accept it. And he was willing to submit to God in the midst of it. And so as Christians, we don't, we don't, we don't like seek out suffering. That's, that's, uh, that's not Christian teaching, but um, we like endure it for God's sake. Um, uh, and can we go to the next slide? Uh, so, and then, and then the last thing I think um, that in referencing the Judeans, he's kind of encouraging that, that God does establish justice, right? God, Saul, those early Judean Christians through their difficulties, right? Um, and, and ultimately, and this is still 20 years before, but God's, God's like wrath poured out on, on the Jews, right? Today, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. And Judaism, like, is honestly, like, very, very small. Like, it's scattered throughout the world in the diaspora. And I'm not, like, saying, um, saying that that's, like, necessarily a good thing that the Jews um, were mistreated, but I think um, we can see that like, God establishes justice. One of my, one of my favorite scriptures um, is Galatians 6, um, where, where it says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Right? God will not be mocked. Um, every man, uh, well, I just, just lost the, um, so it, it says, like, we, what a man reaps, he will sow. Right? And so, peop, and, and, so and, and honestly, this is, I wouldn't create like a whole theology based off this. Um, and I, I, it can kind of get kind of weird if you just keep on extending this really, really far. Um, but that, that, that verse at the end of that section, um, it says, it says that uh, here we can, um, if you, well, here, let me, let me just pull it up real quick. Um, if y'all go with me, we're still in, in chapter two. Um, if y'all want to follow with me so I don't say something too heretical. Um, um, uh, and two, after he says that the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets drove us out, um, he says, and their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. And this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Right. And I don't, I, again, I don't want to like create a huge theology about this, but he seems to be implying that there is like a cup of God's, like God's punishment for sin. Right. And, and God loves all people. His love does not run out and he desires that all men be saved. But God for each like individual or maybe even for a nation, he seems to be implying like has a limit to the amount of rebellion that he will allow them to like continue, right? Until God will enact judgment. This is the encouragement for David in the Psalms is that God will be my justice, right? And as Christians, when we suffer, when we're persecuted, the one one of the, the greatest ways that we don't have to like um, revile back, we don't have to return that, is that we know God will establish justice, right? Um, and we know he, God did establish justice. And so I, again, I don't want to go too far in that and say, well, every single time something bad happens to them, that means God is giving out justice, because we know that's not necessarily the case. But God does do that, right? And and I will say that you know, um, I'll just add too that you know sometimes. Uh, there's like a, a nation or a person who it might seem as though they're like doing great, but uh, maybe God actually already did establish his justice. You know, a flower, the second it's cut, it dies, but it still can look beautiful for a while, right? And so um, I just think, again, I don't want to go down that, that, that path too far, but I do just want to encourage us that um, there's like something to be sober-minded about here, right? Um, to, to consider that God will bring about justice, um, and I think, I think that it can be sobering also that the people who, you know, he says there that they were hindering the word of God, and he equates that. He also uses the word, that, I think this is actually an NIV, this translation says, they were opposing all humanity, right? That them hindering, like, the gospel spread was opposing all humanity, right? That's, like, really, really strong language. Um, you know, and in our culture, like we have a humanistic culture. Many people are always like promoting what is good for humans, like uh, what they think is good for humans, right? But ultimately, the thing that is the greatest thing for humans is to know the gospel, right? And so I think one way that we often will experience persecution is kind of that, that, that conflict 
between our culture and what, what, what they would say is good for humanity and what we see in scripture is actually the good for humanity. The, the people who think that they are serving humanity can be opposing all of humanity, right? And remember, the Jews were God's chosen people. And I think honestly, and again, I'm just gonna go a little bit farther here. This can be a, um, a sobering thought for us as Christians, that people who have the word of God, that we can, if we, if we like connect with one little thing and we like go with that, we can think we're, we're really pursuing after God, but when we lose God himself and we're just pursuing after that one thing, we can oppose God and all humanity, right? And I think as Christians, if, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, about like screen time, it's that app on our phones that tells us like how much we're doing different things, like how much are we, are we looking at videos of this one issue and how much when we're talking with people, this one issue continues to come up. If we are like one issue Christians, that we're always on that thing, like sometimes I wonder if that's become our gospel instead of Jesus himself. And maybe we could like start to err onto the same error that the Jews did, right? If God himself, if Jesus is not our treasure, I think it's easy for us to get off and do things that very quickly are wildly like in, in like error and, and opposing God. Uh, I'm gonna do a slightly uh, weird example here. Uh, so, but as I was like studying this, I, I was watching a Marvel movie. I was with my, my wife. We've kind of, we, we watched some of the Marvel movies and it was, it was the first Avengers movie. And in the movie, Loki, who's this kind of like mischievous bad guy, right? He essentially like has this like army from another planet that he brings to earth. And, and his thought is like, Hey, he's going to like be the ruler on earth. He's like, this is all cool. It's just this one little planet. Right. But the whole time, the plan of that army was to use him to take over the earth and then kill him and then like take over the, what later will become the multiverse, right? Uh, so uh, like, <laughs> spoiler, uh, but like he was being used by this power. And oftentimes when we think there's like this small thing that we kind of go with because we're like trying to go after this like minor good as opposed to God himself, like that thing, you know, Keith always talks about sin takes us farther than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay and something else. I don't remember the last part. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and, and I think, I think that's the case for sure. One other thing I wanted to add, this is just a little side note. Again, we're going, we're talking about weird stuff. So I'm just going to keep on going. Um, here twice, um, Paul mentions Satan and the deceiver, but we know from a couple different things that most of the Christians in Thessalonica were Gentiles who Gentiles don't really necessarily have a concept of Satan. They have Hades um, or Jupiter. No, uh, yeah, they have Hades. And, but it's, it's not quite the same in like Greek and Roman like mythology as it is in Christianity. And so it is obvious that in, in Paul's disi- one-month discipleship course that he talked to them potentially extensively about Satan as well. And again, I wonder in our, again, our little like, um, discipleship course that we create in our minds, like what are the most important things? I wonder how much we would talk about that. You know, uh, in our in our culture, Satan isn't like a really popular thing to talk about. But Paul saw it as important enough to like address, so that he could just kind of kind of drop this, and people knew exactly what he's talking about. Jesus affirms the reality of Satan and hell, right? And so, as if, if we're like going to believe the Bible, then then uh, we should do that too. And so, uh, you know, Paul also talks about that our battle is not against the powers of this world, like not against flesh, flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers and the authorities in, in heavenly places, right? And so our battle is not against people. It, it is against Satan and his forces, right? And so um, again, I just, I just wonder um, if we like, again, and I, and I think, I think we, we always like don't want to be those like crazy church or those crazy people who talk about Satan more than they talk about Jesus. And so we go the other extreme and we like, don't talk about Satan almost at all, right? And again, I think it's like not super popular in our culture. If you go to the next slide, there's this C.S. Lewis quote. So C.S. Lewis quote, but it says, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and feel an excessive unhealthy interest in them, right? And I, I, think, I think that 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 an understanding of Satan and his role in the world is, is at least according to Paul, pretty important to our understanding of how to like interact with the world suffering so we're gonna we're gonna do a teacher technique this is called the make sure people are awake technique um so i'm gonna read through a section okay and every time you hear paul say something that's like really strong language really passionate or emotional language i just want you to raise your hand 
okay? And the winner gets a gold star, uh, right? <laughs> uh, I don't actually have a gold star. Uh, but I just want you to like raise your hand. As I was reading through this passage, I was like, man, this guy is intense, right? And so every time you hear him say some of those things, I just want you to raise your hand, okay? Uh, and then, and then, so we're gonna read this. So, okay, so if you go to the next slide, I'll read this to us. I'll try to limit my, my emphasis to give away the answer. So it says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, by being, thank you, somebody got it, yeah, orphaned, orphaned, that's strong language, right? Uh, orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, there we go, uh, uh, we made every effort to see you, but we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Remember, he knew these people for one month, Right? You are glory. And it kind of reminds me one time I had a roommate who came home and he's like, today I met my wife. You know, it's, it's, it's like, didn't you just meet this person? Right. Uh, but they're my, you're my glory and joy. And it's like, wait, this is one. Okay. Sorry. Next slide. Um, chapter three. So when we could stand it no longer, there we go. Uh, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Okay, next slide. So in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you you would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, sorry, these hands are kind of fun. Uh, sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live standing, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Okay. Uh, how can we thank God enough for you and return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I saw a lot of hands. I think a few people were just having fun by the end there. I don't know. Um, but... Like, anybody keep count of how many times you raised your hand? No? I, 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 yes? Ten? Yeah, I think double digits is not unreasonable, right? And we could either just say, like, Paul is, like, super intense, which he was, right? Or I, I also, I wonder, though, if we can, like, say that and kind of cop out uh, or miss out on, on potentially something else that's really important, right? Uh, let's just go back over a couple of them. And these are just a few of them, right? Strong language, he said that he was orphaned from you, right? Implying that he was like ripped from his mother's arms, right? Like a baby, right? He has intense longing. You are our joy and crown. For now, we really live if you are standing fast in the Lord, right? Implying he's not living unless they like are, are standing in the Lord. And when we could stand it no longer, we sent Timothy. Night and day, we pray most earnestly, right? And, and right after night and day, we pray most earnestly. I think it's really interesting. He's like, he's like, we pray most earnestly that we could be an encouragement to your faith. How many of y'all, when you think about your, like the thing you would most want to do, I think about like, what do I get to do on my birthday when I get to decide? I'm like, oh man, I want to go out to eat at this place. I want to watch like this, like movie or something. Like he's like, if I could do anything in the world, I would just love to encourage your faith, right? How many of us, is that our reality, right? Um, and I, again, if, if, if what I'm about to say isn't you, then you can just kind of set this aside. I, again, this isn't meant to be something that brings shame in us. Um, but when I hear this, like there was a time early on uh, when I was a Christian, when, man, I desired this like deep, deep community where I was intimately connected with people, right? With, with, with other believers. And we were like actively like sharing our faith. We were encouraging each other. We had accountability. I mean, if any of you have ever been like on a mission trip, it's like that thing, right? That we are like deeply connected with each other and encouraging one another. But like over time in our like individual, individualistic society, like particularly here during COVID when we've like been separated, it kind of falls by the wayside. And, and I think like, I just want to encourage us that if that is something you desire, like that, it, it, it can be done 
right? Um, it can be done that like, you know, and I, I think, and I think about how much I like failed at this, you know, um, Andrew and Amanda were just like, they had some people over to their house and they were encouraging, encouraging like them, like to, they were talking to them about Christ, like, and, and man, I, I just wish that like I had like uh, Paul's, Paul's response to that is man, he can't wait. He just, he can't wait, but pick up his phone to call them to see how it went. Right. David and Flora hosted like, um, this international students like ministry night. Right. And, and my response was like, oh, my daughter's like being really complaining. So I'm going to skip out. Right. But, but Paul's response is like, oh man, I, there's nothing else in this world that I would rather do than be there and like encourage you in your faith and then help others to know God. Right. Um, and, and I, I just wonder what, like, again, if this isn't like something you're like, man, I would really like to do that. Right. Then just put this aside. Maybe you can like use it as a question of your priorities or something like that. But a lot of us, I think we really want that, but we've gotten to the habit of not doing that. And, and maybe we'll like one day we're like, well, maybe I, I should just, but when we come to church is our main goal to see like, to, to be encouraged ourselves or to be like used to encourage other people throughout the week. Are we like considering like what's like encouraging other people in their faith? And, and, and again, I think this can really quickly get to like shame because we're not doing that stuff. But I think a lot of us have a desire for that deep community, right? Where we are like involved in that. And so I just want to encourage us. Paul lived in that, right? And par- part of that is being really vulnerable with others. And we know Paul got burned a lot, right? People are going to like fail us if we like try to live in this. But I think at the very least, like just we can take like one step towards that, like after church connecting with someone, like going out to eat with someone or, or um, like asking people instead of asking, you know, me and David talking about the Aggie football game last night that we won't talk about, like the, that we talk about, like, like we, we like encourage one another, right? Use the time wisely, right? Um, and so again, I, again, I just wanted to encourage us that I think a lot of us really desire this to like, to step into it, to text people, to call people, to interact with people, right? To treasure that about our relationships. And the, and the last thing I wanted to look at is, is Paul's interaction with service. Remember, like, if we know the history of Paul, right? And we just saw, like, how emotional he is, how connected he was, how vulnerable he was to these people. I don't think that was Paul's natural state. When we first meet Paul in, in the Bible, Paul was out there, like, killing Christians, right? We know Paul has always been intense. But here, we see Paul, like, I don't, I don't know if y'all caught it. At one point, he talks about his own suffering, but in the midst of his suffering, he's full of joy because he heard about the churches in Thessalonica, right? It's almost like his suffering didn't even matter. It was just like a little afterthought. He was just, he was just using that to emphasize how much he like, was encouraged by their faith. And this is what true Christian like, leadership looks like. It is laying down our lives like, for others. We see Paul come in. Um, he says he, he was willing to be left alone, right? He was, <laughs> the greatest desire would be just to encourage their faith, right? Um, and, and regardless, no matter who you are in this church, you have some, like, outlet for leadership, right? And I wonder if that's what our, our leadership looks like, one that is just so eager to pour out our lives, that is so full of concern with others that, like, we aren't even considered, I will say that I'm, I, I get to say this because Keith isn't here today, uh, but I am really grateful, right? Keith and Kendall, Kevin and Lori, this is their heart. Um, this is their heart. Like they get so encouraged whenever, whenever like we are growing in our faith. And actually, if you go to the next slide, there's this one quote from John Calvin that says, all pastors are reminded of, by this of the kind of relationship that ought to exist between them and the church. When things are going well with the church, they count themselves happy, even though in other respects, they're surrounded by distress. But on the other hand, if the, the church building, meaning like the people uh, that they've constructed is following, falling down, they die of grief and sorrow, even though in other respects, there's success and prosperity, right? If our church, like people are given freely, but people aren't growing in the Lord, I, I've, I, you know, that is... I know, like, Keith's heart, Kevin's heart, like, uh, Kendall, Lori, like, they're, that, that is, like, who cares? Who cares about all this other stuff if we aren't, like, driving people towards Christ? And I love that. One thing that I, I always do, so I'm a high school teacher, 
The first day of school, partly I do it because I want them to like remember my class, uh, but partly I do it because I want them to listen. So what, what I, I, I say, I say, everyone, uh, if you have had a bad teacher before, raise your hand. And inevitably, everybody raises their hand. And of course, a few names are thrown out and I try not to listen. But and I say, I don't necessarily think you should entrust yourself to your teachers. Right? I think you should listen to them and respect them because they're in a position of authority over you. Right? But like, I don't think you should necessarily like, entrust yourself to listen to like, everything they say that, as though it's all important. Right? And, and, and I tell them, like, now I'm, I want to take a second to tell you why I think you should actually listen to what I have to say this year. And I go on, I tell them about like, all the different books I've read, the trainings I've been to, like, all the preparation I do to make sure I am like, like learned in the content that they have to have. I try to like throw in little things about like how my students have performed in the past, showing maybe that I have some level of competency, right? And all of that is I'm, I'm trying to establish a level of authority that comes from my expertise, right? And all of them are like, oh, that's gonna go. this guy read whole books, right? Uh, but then I say that is like one side of authority, but there is an entirely another side of authority. There's some people who are some of the smartest people on earth, but they could care less about you, right? There's a whole nother level of authority that we can give people because they are willing to sacrifice for us. And I like go on to tell students about how I, like as their teacher, will do whatever I can to like help them. I will stay up late to make sure I'm prepared for lessons. I will like stay after school. I will stay before school. And like th- that, th- that is the heart. And I think here at City Church Garland, like that is the leadership that we have. And ultimately, like for, for City Church Garland, hopefully for me, definitely for Paul, that all goes back to Christ. Christ has those two measures of authority. He is the expert, like he is the word of God who is currently like sustaining every single atom in the world, but he is also the servant leader who like gave up his position so that he would come to earth, like be broken for us so that we would know him, right? And, and, and he is worthy of our submission because of that, right? And so I think we see that in Paul, right? We see that as he interacts. And I just, I just wonder how much, that is our attitude, you know, uh, particularly we have a lot of families in this church, how much, uh, even even myself, when we interact with our children, when we interact with any sphere of influence we have, that our attitude is that of like serving them, not just serving them to like make sure that they like, I don't know, are having fun that day or something like that, but serving them that they would like know and treasure Christ, right? That they would grow in their faiths, right? Um, so uh, again, I don't, I don't want to well, I, I, think, I think maybe the best application here is just to ask a couple questions. And as a teacher, uh, I will like say statistics show that if you like try to answer all four questions and really go in depth, you're, you're probably going to forget them all. So I would encourage you, just make, pick one, maybe two. And then this week, as you are like having time with the Lord or, or maybe driving or something, like just reflect on, on one of these questions um, and, and ask God, like, where, where am I at with this? Like, take some inventory. Okay, so the first one, um, do we listen to God's word as though God is speaking to us, right? Do we take God's word seriously, right? Do we, do we um, think about just what's on this world or do we really like consider all of eternity? I, I recently, there was like this like new little movie that came out about C.S. Lewis, his like how he came to the Lord. And in it, he like kind of shared this quote about like how most people, like we just think about this world, but we, if we really are immortal souls, right? Our souls live on forever. Like this world is just such a tiny, a tiny sliver of reality, right? And we take this world so seriously, but compared to everything else, it's just so, so minor, right? Do we really listen to God's word as though it is eternal, right? Or do we mostly live for this world as though this is all there is, right? Two, do we embrace suffering for God's sake, right? Do we embrace suffering? Do we submit in the midst of our suffering, do we allow ourselves to be used to like to be molded through suffering, right? Do we trust that God is, is, is working in our suffering, right? That God has ordained suffering for us and it's for our good. Do we trust that God is a good father, right? And do we trust that God is going to like establish justice and we allow him to do that instead of us establishing justice ourselves, right? Three, do we love, serve, and need people in the church? That, that word need uh, can feel like kind of like icky sometimes, like that we're like so vulnerable, like neediness, who likes needy people, right? But to some degree, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul, like, I mean, when he said, you are our life, right? I'm sure he had a, a slight degree of like neediness, right? And, and I think, I think um, if we're like unwilling to need others, to really rely on others, I would, I would argue maybe there's some pride there. Um, uh, I, I know at one point I was like talking to Steve and he was talking about, he had gone through this like long time, sorry if I'm sharing this, Steve, uh, where, where he felt like he like could kind of do everything himself. He didn't like need others, right? And then he finally like gave that up to the Lord and his relationship with his family and his wife like grew so much because of admitting and like living in that degree of like interdependence and need for one another, right? And that's what we have in the church. And then last is your authority fueled by a desire to serve and see others grow in Christ. Um, is, is, is our li- are we pouring out our lives for others and not just for others to like, I don't know, have fun um, or, or, or uh, I don't know, enjoy life, but that we would we'd pour out our lives that others would know Christ, right? So um, I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll be done. Um, Jesus, God, we, we like confess, God, that our ways are not your ways. Your, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than, than our ways, God, and and we don't have everything down. We don't have everything right, God. We don't have our priorities all in the right place, Lord. And I, I ask that you would come and, and help us to like reorder things rightly, Jesus. Um, not just because it's like right, not just because we like should, God, but, but because we like deeply desire to submit our lives to you because we know that your way is better than our way, God. Um, help us to reorient like those things, like the right level of, of what's, what's, what's the most important, right? Um, God, we desire for deeper connection with you, um, with others, Lord. Um, and we, we ask that you would use your word um, to come and minister to us, Lord, that we would be your people on this earth, God. We, we, we pray that, that this church... We would be like your people here, God. Lord, help us to, to embrace suffering for your sake, to embrace vulnerability for your sake. Lord, and not just to embrace them, but to love them. Like I, there's this, this one song, it's called Defender, if you want to look it up. And I really love, it's, it's hallelujah, you have saved me. It's so much better your way, Jesus. It's so much better. The way that you have set things up, it's so much better than the way that we would have set things up. Your discipleship course is better than ours. Your way is better than ours, Jesus. We just confess that. God, we ask that you would come, move, transform us into your image, Lord. Yes, God, we love you and we pray these things in your name.